What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Rookie Ball, the podcast where you want to go if you need to know anything sports or if you just want to hear my opinion. My name, as always, is Phoenix Igus, and I am your host forever and always here from Rookie Ball. And also from Rookie Ball, a happy Super Bowl week to everyone. I say happy Super Bowl week from Rookie Ball, like I'm not the only one, but happy Super Bowl week, everybody. We are going to be getting into today's episode, and I'm excited to talk about a few things today. We're going to be talking, one, about the NBA trade deadline. There has been a few deals leading up to this Thursday trade deadline, and there's been some deals that have been yet to happen that I think still will, so we'll talk about that a little bit. The NFL honors are this Saturday, and I'm going to be getting into who I think should win the awards versus who I think will win the awards. So to get into it, as I said, the NBA trade deadline is coming this Thursday, and I want to talk about some deals that have yet to happen, and there's only a couple that I think will possibly happen that I haven't seen yet. The first one being the very obvious one that I talked about before, the 76ers with Ben Simmons. They need to get him traded, and it's looking like the only people that are possibly able to give in to their uh, absurd absurd demands is the Brooklyn Nets for James Harden. Now, when I look at this deal, especially since the Sixers are saying a straight-up deal for the two, if I'm the Nets, I absolutely do not take this deal. I believe the Brooklyn Nets right now are in a little bit of a panic mode because they're not winning without Kevin Durant, and they're kind of slipping in the standings, but I absolutely promise you that they should not trade Harden for Ben Simmons straight up. This Nets team is not a team that's building for the future. They need to be building to win now, and I promise you that Harden will help you much more than Ben Simmons. Another team that I had saw getting more involved with the NBA trade deadline, and most likely still will, but has not to this point, is the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons talked a lot about trying to trade Jeremy Grant this year. Even though he's a very young piece that could still have a lot of talent ahead of him, I think it just doesn't fit the mold as he's not the guy in the in Detroit anymore. That's obviously Cade Cunningham. So when I'm really looking at it, the Detroit Pistons do need to find a suitor, but from what I've seen online, they have not been uh, receiving any interest nor deals for Jeremy Grant, so they might possibly be in a little bit of a pickle here if they cannot get a deal done by Thursday. Kind of in the same situation as the Sixers, as I feel like it really hurts the uh, future of their franchise, the future of their team and their stars, if they can't find a deal here. And the final team that has not involved themselves in a deal yet that I think absolutely should is the Sacramento Kings. I think they have three or four uh, players that just do not fit the mold of, of the build anymore. Um, I talked a lot about De'Aaron Fox is just not a number one guy, and that's tough for me to say because I'm, I'm a big De'Aaron Fox fan. Um, I also talked about I just don't see really any number one possible guys on their team. I think Halliburton has a lot of potential, but not as a number one guy. I think Bagley the third, like I've always said, if he could stay healthy, he obviously has insane talent, but he's never been able to stay healthy. And then they also have a guy like Harrison Barnes, who really doesn't fit the mold of the Sacramento Kings build of 
kind of in a rebuild mode. Um, and he's getting paid a lot of money to be a veteran on this team that doesn't really play up to his pay. So if you're asking me, I think the Kings need to go either way on this one, whatever they choose, uh, but they need to make a deal of some type to kind of decide what direction they're going in. Obviously, they can't go into win-now mode, but they can trade for guys that might get them more competitive in the next few years, or they could possibly go full rebuild mode as De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley III have kind of reached the point in their career where they should be getting close to their peaks and they're just not. Or possibly they have reached their peaks and it's not what they had hoped it was going to be. So I think the Sacramento Kings need to get a lot more involved either trading for a full-on rebuild and trading for picks like the Thunder have done, or they need to trade Fox and Bagley maybe as a package and possibly Barnes away to grab these players that will make them competitive for the next few years to pair along with Halliburton. Now, getting into the deals that have happened, I'm only going to talk about three trades, the three biggest trades so far uh, in, in this trade deadline. And if you want any proof that I do this the day of so I can get as much sport news as possible, one of these trades just happened about half an hour ago. So I'm going to be ranking them from... Uh, how important they are to the teams that were involved. And I'm going to start with the LA Clippers and the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, the LA Clippers traded Eric Bledsoe, Justin Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a future second-round pick to the Trail Blazers for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Now, when I first saw this deal, I was very confused because obviously I think that the, the Clippers absolutely stole this deal. But then I realized that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are most likely out this season, and I really question uh, what they were trying to do here. If the Clippers were trying to make the playoffs this season, um, or if they were just building for next year. And once I kind of came to terms that they're probably building for next year's team to be really good, I realized how genius of a trade this is for the Clippers. Not only did they win this deal, um, but it also somehow builds the future for them as well. Norman Powell is a great young player, and Robert Covington is a solid defensive veteran. To pair Robert Covington with a player like Kawhi and to pair a player like Norman Powell with Paul George, that's very dangerous for next year, considering... The Clippers have a decent amount of depth behind them as well. A player like Reggie Jackson, Zubak, they have a bench that could be very solid. So do I think the Trailblazers got absolutely destroyed in this deal? No, I think they got some pieces back that'll help them. Um, but I'm definitely going to give the edge to the LA Clippers on this deal. The second deal I want to talk about is a very good one in my mind for one of the teams. The Cleveland Cavaliers uh, acquired Karis LeVert and a 2022 second round pick that is by Miami uh, from the Indiana Pacers in exchange for Ricky Rubio, a lottery protected 2022 first round pick and a 2022 second round pick from Houston along with a 2027 pick from Utah, but that's very far down the road. I like this deal a lot because I have followed Karis LeVert from the beginning of his career. I have no idea why, but he just interests me. I thought he could be 
very good uh, in in the NBA, and I think he's gone so under the radar um, until this deal happened, and then people started to pay attention to him. But, I mean, this man was putting down buckets back when he was in Brooklyn. Just nobody really talked about it. Nobody really noticed because Brooklyn obviously had this big three. Karis LeVert is, as I said, an extremely underrated player. That's a very good scorer. Kind of reminds me of a Wiggins-type player. He just knows how to get down the court. He can handle the ball very well. And he's an amazing addition to this surprisingly surging Cleveland Cavs team that now not only has Darius Garland in the lineup, but now has Karis LeVert, has Laurie Markkinen, Kevin Love, Jared Allen. I mean, this team has three players that could have possibly been all-stars this season, and one of them actually was. And to think, in my opinion, they don't even have the best player in their lineup. He's out for the season with injury in Colin Sexton. So if you're asking me, this Cleveland Cavs team made an amazing move because not only is Karis LeVert going to help them win now and help them hopefully make the playoffs, but he's also going to help them for the future. Karis LeVert, he's, he's not the youngest guy in the bunch, but he's definitely got years more in his career. And to get not only a second round pick, but not giving up that much, only two second round picks, a first round pick, and Ricky Rubio for a player that I think will be um, like right below the tier of all-star for years to come. Amazing deal. Now, the final trade I want to get into involves my favorite team, my team that I root for in the NBA. This just got announced at 10.59 a.m. It is currently 11.10 a.m., so I am just hearing this news. The Portland Trailblazers and New Orleans Pelicans have agreed on a trade to send C.J. Collum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to the Pelicans in return for Josh Hart, Tomas Sadaraski, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, a, a future first-round pick, and two second-round picks. Now, am I in love with this deal as a Pelicans fan? No, not really. But is this a very exciting trade for the NBA? Absolutely. So I'm going to be talking about this from an NBA fan standpoint. From a standpoint, this should be exciting for each team. The Trailblazers, obviously their, their build has just not worked for years and years and years. They need to try something different. They're definitely trying something different. It seems like they are just building this insane, insane depth around Dame instead of trying to add the second or third star. A player like Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I feel like the Trailblazers are not aware of how far that'll go for them. Uh, the fact that they got a, a few picks out of this as well is pretty nice for them. I think possibly if they would have taken out uh, Lance Jr. and Tony Snell that they probably could have done it straight up with three of the players for C.J. McCollum. But adding Nance Jr. and Tony Snow probably added on the picks. Um, the Trailblazers, I, I think, are building something that they're they're gonna try. You know, if one thing wasn't working, you just gotta try something else. And they're definitely putting an effort into that. I think at this point now, we just have to see it'll if it'll work. Um, they also created a lot of cap space in this trade, so I'm also wondering if there's the possibility of them going after a big fish in NBA free agency to try and pair with Dame. 
to where is from the pelican side they definitely use this as a win now mode uh with the possibility of zion williamson coming back at some point brandon ingram is playing at an almost all-star level and Devonte graham has played pretty well along with jonas valachunas so i think this was a big trade to help the guard play on the team and i did just see a tweet because i have not paid attention to the nba as much as i've wanted to this season but the pelicans surprisingly are now in a play-in spot and kind of fighting for a playoff berth and to think they're doing that without zion and they're now adding cj to the team there could be a lot of of talk of the pelicans possibly slipping in as a dark horse kind of upset possible team and i'm not saying that from a bias standpoint but we've seen what zion's been able to do when he's healthy so assuming and really hoping uh, as an nba fan and a pelicans fan that zion is able to come back and be as dominant as he was this team could be very dangerous with the trio of mccollum zion and brandon ingram i'll be curious to see though if they kind of have the same dynamic as these past trailblazers team where i think ingram and zion uh when they're playing at kind of like their lowest level they they both equal a dame level player together uh mixed with a a good center and a second co-star uh shooting guard and cj mccollum i don't want to see this team become the new portland trailblazers where they make the playoffs and kind of just make nothing happen so those are the trades i wanted to talk about in the nba trade deadline i'm hoping there's a lot more to come leading up to thursday's deadline it's just one word of advice, Philadelphia 76ers, if anyone who's a fan of them, anyone who's part of the organization is listening to this podcast by any chance, please trade Ben Simmons. I know a lot of people are starting to get to the point where they don't think he'll be traded. Please trade him. I don't even like your team. I don't even like your franchise, but trade him so that you can actually win. So now getting into the NFL. <laughs> As I said, the NFL Honors are this Saturday, hosted by Keegan-Michael Key, one of my favorite comedians. And we're going to be getting into the awards coming this Saturday, who I think should win them versus who I think will win them, because I think there's a big difference for me. I'm going to be starting off with Coach of the Year. I got to remember that this is a regular season award, because if you were asking me throughout the whole season who deserves this, it's definitely Zach Taylor. And if you don't agree with me, then I don't know whether to stay friends with you, become friends with you, because Zach Taylor deserves this award if we're talking about the playoffs as well. But considering that this is probably the only regular season considering, I think there's three real candidates for this award. And that is Mike Vrabel from the Tennessee Titans, Zach Taylor from the Bengals, and Bill Belichick from the Patriots. Now, a lot of people will probably say Matt LaFleur, but when I really look at it, the Packers were expected to do well. They did well. And then we can't even talk about what happened in the playoffs, but we know what happened in the playoffs. So when it really comes down to it, Bill Belichick, we know, is a great coach, and he really surprised a lot of people. I don't think anyone had the Patriots in their playoff predictions this year. Zach Taylor did the same. He surprised a lot of people. 
He got the Bengals to the AFC North title and now are going to the Super Bowl, but we cannot include that in the discussion. And Mike Vrabel lost his best player in Derrick Henry and stayed calm and rode his team to the number one seed in the AFC. All three coaches, I think, beat expectations, especially given what they had uh, a few weeks into the season. That being said, who I think should win this award, I still think it should be Zach Taylor. Because when I look at these three coaches, the other two, yeah, I could see the possibility of them winning, of them making the playoffs. And, and nobody predicted the Bengals to to win the AFC North this year. And honestly, a lot of people will say it's just because he has a good team uh, to help him out. But I saw Zach Taylor make some real gutsy calls this year. It's a new mind. It's a coach that just goes for fourth downs when it's extremely dangerous to do it. I think it's super creative. I think he has some nice play calls. And he knows his players. And he gets along with his players. And you see it. So I think Zach Taylor should win the award. Now who I think will win the award, I think it's going to be... Mike Fable, um, he led a team to the number one seed when they were at their lowest. They lost their best player. He fought a lot of adversity. I think the NFL, if they completely take out the bias of the NFL playoffs, because obviously Zach Taylor beat Mike Fable, Mike Fable will probably win this award. Defensive Rookie of the Year is a, a no-doubter. The same person as the person I think will win the award, I think should win the award. Micah Parsons, as it hurts me to say from the Dallas Cowboys, played at an absolutely monster level, in my mind, is in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, so that being said, he obviously dominates this category. There's nobody in an even close second. They're miles and miles and miles away. So Micah Parsons will most definitely win Defensive Rookie of the Year, and he also should. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now, a lot of people seem to still be questioning this award, I think this award is absolutely over. If you tell me that it is not Jamar Chase, then you're just a quarterback bias. And you can say that I'm a Bengals bias, but Jamar Chase has literally broken records this season. He's broken Bengals records. He's broken NFL records. He's played at an absolutely amazing level. And a lot of people said, oh, possibly he just, he he had a little fluke. Um, but we saw this man go from amazing and then had a big slump where we were all 100% sure that Mac Jones had this award locked up. And then out of nowhere in the last four or five games of the season, he got right back to it. And he's still playing super well as of late in the playoffs. So I know we're not supposed to include playoffs in this voting, but he has proven that he's a dominant receiver. Um, and I think if you're able to cement yourself as a top eight in your position in your rookie year, it should be without question uh, that you should receive rookie of the year votes with respect to a player like Creed Humphrey, who is probably already the best center in the NFL. But obviously an offensive lineman as a rookie will probably not win the award. So who I think should win this award is Jamar Chase, who I think will win this award is Jamar Chase. If Mac Jones wins this award, I will be without words. I will be shocked. 
Now, moving on to Defensive Player of the Year. Now, I, I did have to do a lot of thinking about this because genuinely in my mind, I think if TJ Watt did not break the sack record, that there would have been a lot more votes going towards Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett. But at the end of the day, TJ Watt did break the sack record. Defensive player of the year is a lot different than defensive valuable player of the year. I take the award names very literally. When it says valuable, it's the person who uh, added the most value to their team. And out of these players, Micah Parsons definitely added the most value to his team. He played at a very high level. He helped his team win. And obviously, the Steelers made the playoffs, and TJ Watt was a big part of that. But Micah Parsons truly led this team to some victories at points. When I look at the other players, maybe outside of Aaron Donald, I don't seem that, see that same value in a player that is helping a team win games. But the award is called Defensive Player of the Year. This is an individual award to the player that played at the highest level. And I do think that was TJ Watt. And that's coming from a Bengals fan. I think a Steelers player played at the highest level on the defensive side. I think he is going to win this award. I think he should win this award. To break the sack record, whether it's in 17 games or not, let, re let me remind you that TJ Watt missed four or five games this season. So he actually did it in less games than Michael Strahan did. So if you're asking me, based off the award's name, this should go to TJ Watt, and it will go to TJ Watt. The final two awards, one goes to Offensive Player of the Year. Most likely, Offensive Player of the Year goes to a non-quarterback that deserves some recognition because a quarterback most likely will win MVP. This year, it's between two players. It's between Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor. If you include anybody else, I think you're absurd. Jonathan Taylor led the league in rushing this year and dominated the ground game. Cooper Cup obviously was only a few yards away from breaking the all-time record for receiving yards in a season and has played absolutely dominant as, and has continued to play dominant throughout the whole season. Probably the most consistent great player in the 2021-22 season. Now, if you're asking me who I think should win this award, I think this is an absolute landslide. I think Cooper Cup has consistently played at an amazing level to whereas Jonathan Taylor kind of broke out uh, a decent amount of weeks into the season and honestly slowed down a bit in the last couple weeks. So the consistency of Cooper Cup getting 100 or more yard games, continuing to just be a dominant force in the red zone, really helping this team single-handedly winning and possibly reaching the Super Bowl. Cooper Cup should take this award dominantly. Do I think he will? Yeah, I would say he will. I would say that uh, most likely he'll win by a few votes to whereas I think he should win unanimously, but I, I think he will take the award home at the end of the night. Now the final award is the MVP. There is a player who shall not be named, that most likely will take home this award. I personally do not think he should. And no, it's not because of his vaccination status. I genuinely don't think that he was the best player this season. 
Now, obviously, you can make the argument for Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor, but as I said, most likely a non-quarterback is not winning this award. But I'm going to be honest. Tom Brady deserves this award. And that's how you know that I'm I'm not being rude to he who should not be named. Um, but because I, I don't like Tom Brady. I like him as a person, but he's easy to root for against as a player. He led the league in passing. He led the league, I believe, in completions. He led the league in pass touchdowns. Tom Brady played at an absolutely amazing level, especially for the age that he was at. He led a team to a division title right below uh, the Packers. And if you're asking me, he did it through a lot more adversity than Aaron Rodgers did it through. And Brady played more games this season than Aaron Rodgers did. Like I said, I take this award very literally. It says the most valuable player to a team. Now, do I think the Packers would be a number one seed without Rodgers? No, most likely not. But when I see the impact of Brady on the Bucks versus Rodgers on the Packers, I see a different level. When Rodgers was not on the Packers this season, they played at an okay level. Outside of Jordan Love, everyone actually played insanely well, and they didn't even have their team at full strength. The times that I've seen the roster built by the Tampa Bay Bucks without Tom Brady has been absolutely abysmal to watch. It is plagued by sloppy play, uh, no comprehension or chemistry on the team. So when I see the word valuable in this, in this award, I say what team added the most value, and in my mind, that is Tom Brady. Now, though, you do have to be realistic and realize that most people do not see the same way as you. That is why Aaron Rodgers will win this award. Whether you like it or not, for whatever reason that you don't like it or like it, he is going to win the NFL MVP for the second year in a row. But mark my words, he will not win it next year. There's no way that he is three-peating the NFL MVP. With that being said, that is my predictions for the NFL honors Friday, ladies and gentlemen. The Super Bowl will be three days away. I'm going to post in my Twitter or if anybody would like to text me. I am trying to decide if Friday is going to be the day where we have some guests on or if we should save that for the result of the Super Bowl on Tuesday because I'm only going to do it on one of the episodes. Now, obviously, I want to have guests for future episodes and kind of explore that more and more, but I'm trying to decide which one I want to make more special because I feel like if I do it Tuesday, I'm risking the possibility of the Bengals losing. If I do it Friday, I lose the excitement of what the winner could possibly be. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we are reaching the end of this episode. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And please leave a comment or anything, support if you would like to, to help this podcast keep going and always stay involved because I'm always available to talk. My name is Phoenix Hygis, and I will catch you guys on the flippity flip on Friday. Get out of here.